The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. Amen. Amen. Hey, have you ever, have you ever thought, those of you who've, who've professed Christ, you've given your life to Him, I know that's the majority of us in here, but there's always some who are maybe still trying to ask questions, and that's cool. But for those of you who've, who've, who've given your life, have you, have you ever thought about like the, the roots of this Jesus movement that we're a part of, right? I mean, think about this. Think about this. This all goes back to like this, this, this man who happens to also be 100% God, born and uh, lived about 30 years of relative obscurity. And then for about three and a half years through his teaching and ministry and miracles and, and declarations of divinity, um, he like absolutely rocked the Jewish world, like turned everything upside down. And as a result of that, uh, those who were in authority, both the Jewish rulers and then the over greater authority, the Romans, kind of like in collaboration, executed him. And then, and then uh, he dies and everybody's like, drifts away. He, at his peak, he had about a few thousand, I don't know if I'd call them followers, at least a few thousand people who are interested um, in checking out what he had to do. Three days later, he rises from the dead then, super documented, one of the most documented accounts in history of that time. And he rises from the dead and shows himself to a few hundred people. But at the end of the day, there's about 120 of them who said, yes, I'm following this Jesus guy. So now he ascends into heaven. He's gone, right? So Jesus is gone. Some people are saying he, he was resurrected. Other people are saying like, that's just all made up. So here's this group of people who are absolutely convinced of his resurrection, convinced of his divinity in a society that was absolutely hostile to the gospel to the point of hunting down those who were leaders in this movement and, and executing them. And the greater authority as well, Rome, also was not super fond of them because they were causing ruckus and making crowds and making life more difficult. So here's this, a handful of 120 people convinced of an event from Jesus' life who lived and taught for three and a half years, convinced that he rose from the dead in, in an environment completely hostile to the message that they believed in. And this tiny little band of individuals began a movement in that context that has greater impact on the world in the last 2,000 years than any other single movement that has ever risen up. That has led to the point where those of us in this room today are gathered in the name of Jesus as, as another piece of this Jesus movement 2,000 years later on the other side of the globe. Led this movement that, that some of the most powerful, most influential individuals and governments have tried to completely eradicate and have failed time and time again, and usually just spur it on to greater and more significant growth. Have you ever thought, how in the world did that happen? Well, if you have, I'm glad you asked the question. Because we are going to take a look at the story of where it all first took place. If you've been, been with us at Crossroads for any uh, amount of time, or at least a few years, you know that we, from time to time, every few years, we go through, preach through a book of the Bible. And I'm excited today to jump into the book of Acts. For those of you who don't know, this is kind of a part two. Uh, Luke wrote this book, and... and uh, uh, he started off and first wrote one book, Luke. He writes that, the story of Jesus. And then he picks up after Jesus ascends into heaven. In fact, he backs up just a little bit to kind of catch the storyline back up because Jesus, what Jesus says right before his ascension is critical to the message and the storyline of the entire book. Uh, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you know that all the books of the Bible are written in different genres. You got your poetry and your history and your letters. You got some personal letters and letters to churches, and uh, you've got prophecy, all these different genres. This is narrative, okay? 
This is narrative. And, and, and I love that. So instead of taking, if you've been with us before, we've, we've gone really slowly, just a couple verses at a time through a book. Because this is narrative, we're going to look at it a little bit differently, and we're going to take stories in chunks as we go through and we move through the storyline of the book of Acts. My goal and what I'm going to do, whether we do it every week or just from time to time, my, my goal is to keep uh, Sunday morning uh, really specific and narrow to a topic uh, 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 with, with some application. And, and my goal is to, uh, throughout the week, I'll release maybe another thing. Like if you want to go deeper, if you want to look at some more context, if you want to do some other things, we'll do some, uh, some video stuff. You can find it on YouTube and go to our YouTube channel. Um, find some other teachings on it as we kind of study through the book of Acts together. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles with you, uh, open them up to or turn them on to, however your Bible works, uh, to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to start at the very beginning. And I'm going to do my best to, to stay um, tied to a specific topic that I feel that God has put on my heart for today. Um, but here we go. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was still alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So here's just kind of like getting into the context, right? He's like, I already wrote you one story about the life of Jesus, and then he ascended into heaven. Acts 20, or sorry, Luke 24 hits like the resurrection and like really fast tracks like to his ascension. Now he's like, I'm going to back this up just a little bit. I'm going to get us all caught up, and then we're just going to get rolling into what led to the expansion of the church as we know it today. So he picked up where he left off. Verse 4, he continues. It says, on one occasion, this is right before Jesus ascends into heaven, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. All right, here's the deal. You got to think about this. You got to think about what was happening in the storyline. So, Jesus, at the Last Supper, is sitting around with the guys, and he's telling them, breaking some hard news to them. He says, I'm going to leave, and where I go, you can't come. They did not want to hear that. He's like, don't worry, though. I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. They're like, I don't know the Holy Spirit. I want you. And they're getting all upset about this. Well, then Jesus died on the cross. They lost their minds. Jesus rose from the dead, also lost their minds, but now in an excited way, right? And so um, now they're like, oh, I get it. You died. We couldn't go there with you, but now you're back. Let's go, right? And this is like super Jesus, okay? Like, here's what I mean. Like, we know he was fully human and we know he was fully divine. He did all these miracles, but like Jesus like upped his miracle game, like after he rose from the dead, right? And we don't know all of the stuff, but we know that like one time they were in a locked room and Jesus just like, boom, appeared out of nowhere. Just whoop, there. Like, wait, what? Like, this is like stuff he'd never done before. This is crazy. Another time, he's like, he has this ability to like cloak his identity. I don't understand how he did this. Well, he had these conversations with people and like face-to-face conversations with people about Jesus. And they didn't know who he was. And then like all of a sudden, boom, he uncloaked himself. I, I don't know how it worked, right? And then all of a sudden they could see like, whoa, we've been talking to Jesus the whole time and they're like blowing their mind. And as soon as they realize it's him, he disappears. Like I'm, like I'm super Jesus, right? Like tell me how the Romans or the Jews can execute a guy who can disappear and reappear and cloak his identity. Like, could you imagine the excitement of the disciples right now? Let's go, right? Like it is time. And so they're all excited. And this is what Jesus is like, like, just calm down. I want you to wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. In a few days, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay? Don't get so excited that you try to do my work without his power. And this is how they responded. 
And they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? <laughs> no, no. Okay? You remember throughout his lifetime, that, and I understand this, right? They weren't just like super ignorant. They knew the scripture. They knew the Old Testament. But they couldn't differentiate the, the prophecy that spoke about Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. Right? So when they heard about Jesus coming, and then that he would rule with power and authority, that he would rule with peace and justice, that he would begin this reign, that, that, that he would reign over all things, like, like, they thought it was in the world, right? Makes sense. And so their, their understanding was, was like, hey, like, you want to restore Israel. In, in, in their context, it would have meant you want to overthrow Rome because they're in charge with the Messiah around. Romans aren't, Romans aren't going to be in charge. You're going to be in charge. I want you to set up your kingdom, and we know that we're like your closest guys, so it's going to be cool. So maybe with a little fleshly desires, but maybe there's, I, I also believe there were some holy motives. Let's just be honest. Even in our holy motives, there's some still a little flesh that probably colors our a little bit. And so they're in the same boat. They're like, man, we want to see this. I believe their desires were noble. And their desires were essentially this. We want to change the world. How many messages have you heard? Shoot, if you ever a youth in youth group, you've heard this message. Let's change the world. Our, our generation is going to change the world. And you know what? I get it. I get the noble aspiration of that. But I honestly believe that well, we're interested in changing the world. God is more interested in transforming hearts. In fact, I believe, I believe Christians and this, this Jesus-following movement has changed the world in, in positive ways that are undeniable. But I also believe that every time that God used Jesus' followers to change the world, he didn't do it from this broad strategic uh, planning session. He did it when, when image bearers of Christ were witnesses to the power of God in their lives. In fact, here's what Jesus says to this. So they're all, they're all excited. He's like just trying to redirect. In fact, he knows he's about to fly away into heaven. They don't know that yet, but he's, he says this. Listen, listen, guys, listen. Verse 7. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Which again, they probably still think that he's talking about building an earthly kingdom. We know 2,000 years later, that's not exactly how it went down. But he redirects them to the main point. He says, I do have a strategic plan. I do have a way not necessarily to restore the kingdom to Israel, but rather to build my kingdom here on earth. He says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. He goes on, it says, after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. Like I'm telling you, this is like super Jesus, like, like stuff they'd never seen before. This is wild. He just like ascends up into heaven. And, then, and they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. You know, it's also interesting, 2,000 years later, we get the context, but they're going like, well, Jesus said in a few days the Holy Spirit's going to come, so I would imagine he'll probably come back before that, right? And they didn't, they didn't understand what was going on. But all they had to go back to was this last thing that he said. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you. And here's where I want to focus today. There's, there's probably a, couple, a few dozen things that we could focus on in this text. But here's where I want to like, just kind of hone in on this morning. He says, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. I, I want to <clears throat> take a minute there. You know, I believe that sometimes we think we have to be more than Jesus asks us to be. I really, I really do. I think we think we have to be more than Jesus asks us to be. Sometimes we just add on. We're like Pharisees in that way a little bit. Like we love to just add on some extras. 
Um, so what did, he, what did he say we will be? Okay. So he leaves. He commissions essentially his church to go be his church to start this movement. What, what does he say that we're to be? He says that we're to be witnesses. Well, here's something interesting. Just even before I got into the study of Acts and before I was ready to do this, God brought this verse of scripture to mind just in my prayer time. God brought something to my mind and uh, a verse that I was familiar with, but it may be a context that I hadn't considered. And I'll share that with you. It was Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And it says, they, that's the saints of God, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The him there is Satan. They triumphed, the saints of God, the believers in Christ, they triumphed over him by two different things. There were two things that were critical in defeating Satan and triumphing over Satan, the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. It says they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Also something that challenges maybe our um, comfortable Western perspective is that they triumphed over the Satan, but they did die. <laughs> but they defeated the enemy in the process. How did they do it? It points to two different things, the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. We'll come back to that in a minute. And then later on, Satan is ticked, okay? Uh, Satan is ticked. He's been defeated by those who've now passed. And then it says he went off to wage war against those who, two description, Satan went off to wage war against, this is verse 17, those who keep God's commands and those who too hold fast their testimony about Jesus. This is interesting. So this word testimony shows up twice when we're talking about like demonic warfare kind of stuff. Like when we're talking about things that like power to defeat the enemy of our soul kind of stuff. What we learn in, in, in Revelation chapter 12 is that, that your testimony has the power to defeat Satan, but at the same time, it puts a target on your back. Why? Because he knows that your testimony, think about this, your testimony has the power to inflict harm to the kingdom of darkness and to the enemy of your soul. That's, like, that's powerful. Your, and I know sometimes we get in this very, very, we just finished a series on, on spiritual disciplines, very practical things, okay? We're, we're going to wade into something that's a, that's a little bit more spiritual in nature. Like, there is an enemy of your soul who hates you and wants to take you out, And the word of God tells us this, your testimony. Maybe you're like, my testimony isn't that powerful. My testimony isn't that significant. My testimony isn't fill in the blanks. I beg to differ. The scripture begs to differ. Your testimony threatens the gates of hell. So let's come back to Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses. What does that have to do with Revelation 12? Let me tell you. Part of it is just we need to, we, we, somewhere between Acts 1 and today, some definitions have been skewed a little bit and misunderstood. They've been slowly changed, not deliberately, not intentionally, just kind of things happen like that, Right? And, and part of that is just the word testimony, right? We're in church. I'm a preacher. I'm preaching. I could get it. You hear the word testimony. What does testimony mean, right? The, the Christian verb testimony means to, or, or to testify means to explain the gospel or to witness is to explain the gospel. I'm, I, I'm going to witness, right? If you say I'm going to witness, what do you mean? You're, you're going to go out and you're going to explain the gospel and you're going to probably use some verses in Romans and talk about how we're fallen and Jesus has redeemed us, right? Why? Because we are going to witness. But listen, that is a relatively, in the course of the last 2,000 years, modern definition of that word witness. It's not always meant that. And in fact, if you're going to do a, a word study in, in while you're studying the scripture, you should probably go to the original Greek word. The Greek word, I'm not going to get real, real, sophisticated on you. But, but basically the definition is, is referring to that word witness as an eyewitness, okay? Really connecting to the original word, the original meaning of the word witness. It's not that complicated. We still use it in today's language. It's mostly in judiciary terms, right? Like, like legal terms. So 
What does witness mean? If Jesus said that we're supposed to be witnesses through the power of the Holy Spirit, if he said we're supposed to be witnesses, we should probably know what a witness is, right? Yeah? Okay. This is, when we first, before we get to what a witness is, let me give you the, the, the verb witness, the definition of the verb witness. To see an event, typically a crime or accident, right? It's usually in a legal term. To see an event, typically a crime or accident, take place. To see something take place. Um, is to witness that thing, right? I think we can all agree here. Second definition is to have knowledge of an event or change from personal observation or experience, right? So to witness something, again, I, I don't mean to insult your intelligence, which I just want us to make sure we're coming back to foundational like thinking. To witness something is to see an event take place or to experience or observe something from a personal first-hand experience, right? You guys get this. You guys passed English class, right? Most of you. All right. So that's what a witness, that, that's what witness as a verb means. So here's what witness as a noun means, right? Which is what Jesus said, that you are a witness, okay? It is someone who does the above, Right? So a witness is someone who has seen an event take place or someone who has knowledge from personal experience uh, or personal observation, okay? This is a witness. The reason why I bring the word, that testimony word in from Revelation um, is, well, let's go back to English class, okay? To testify is to give an account of what one has witnessed, right? You guys tracking with me? Therefore, your testimony, which is what defeated Satan and threatens his kingdom, your testimony is the written or oral account of what one has witnessed, okay? So if you are a witness, that means you've experienced something. You've seen something. You've observed something firsthand, and again, usually in a legal setting, usually it has a negative connotation. I witnessed that accident take place. Therefore, I'll take the stand and give my testimony about what took place, right? Not churchy language, not, not Christian-y language, just like that's just language. And then we come to church, and then we're saying, hey, I want you to go witness to your friends, now, if you look up in the definite dictionary, yes, you will find that as an appropriate use of the word because we've added a spiritual definition to the word. But originally, that doesn't even make sense, right? To witness something is to observe or see or experience something. So you don't go witness to your friends. You witness about, like you witness an experience and then you testify to what you have seen. Does that make sense? Are we, are we tracking, right? So let me, let, me, let, me, let me come here. So often, when we hear sermons and, and teachings and podcasts about really excitable, from real excitable individuals who are passionate about seeing um, God change the world, I, I, I get all that. But sometimes it leaves us feeling very, very inadequate. Am I the only one? But you're not, Jesus didn't say, but you will be my theology professors. But you know what? You should study theology. It's really, really good. And it, it, actually, it, it allows you to experience more of God so you can testify even greater to his goodness. But he didn't call you to be a theology professor. He, he, he didn't say, but you will be my experts in all things biblical doctrine. He didn't say, but you will be my apologists. Now listen, listen, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Pursue truth. There's things you don't understand, open up the word, ask lots of questions, study the scripture, understand and know God, but also understand and know what it is that he's asked of us. He's asked you to be a witness, which means he's asked you to testify to what you've seen and experienced. Let me ask you this. Imagine there was a, a crime that took place and there was a witness who took the stand. 
And they were there. They watched. They came in a little bit late. So they saw most of what took place, but they missed some things. Let's say this, this witness got up on the stand and, and clearly explained all the things that they had seen firsthand and, and, and experienced firsthand, but then began to fill in the blanks with what they heard other people said happened, but they communicated it as if it was something that they experienced firsthand. Would that be a good witness? No. If it was ever found out that they did that, they would go to jail. And yet... And yet, somewhere along the lines, I, like we as Christians some, somehow got this idea, a lot of us did, I think, that, that, our, that our experience of Jesus is not quite enough, but that we needed to fill in the gaps and kind of sort of make things up in order to make sure that we sounded smart enough to tell people about Jesus. Like we use that term, oh, man, they're a bad witness. Basically what that means is like they live kind of like the world, okay? A bad witness and a good witness is the difference between somebody who accurately talks about the experiences that they've had with Jesus and somebody who says the experience they've had with Jesus inaccurately. That's the difference between a good witness and a bad witness. When somebody takes a stand, wouldn't that be how you define a good witness from a bad witness? Somebody that accurately describes their experience in the subject matter and so sometimes I think we just get so intimidated by this evangelize the world thing that we forget that what Jesus asks of his followers is to tell their story. I know all my introverted friends get really wigged out about this like evangelism stuff. I'm with you. Whether you know me or not, like I'm, I'm introverted. I I'll get up and preach all day long, but I, I get like clammy and nervous and awkward when I, when I try to talk to individuals about, I'd rather just like not say anything. I get it. And so this whole like share your story thing, I, I get it. But you don't have to fill in the blanks. Here, here's, here's something that I think the church needs this phrase that I want, you to, I want you to repeat after me. We need to practice this because I think we're really bad at it. We feel, like, we feel like we need more than we actually have. I want you to practice this, this statement with me, okay? I want to practice with the statement with me. Okay, I'm going I'm to say this, and then and I want you, it's just, it's just three words, and I want you to say it, repeat it after me. Ready? It's this. I don't know. All right, your turn. I don't know. It's okay. If you've experienced the resurrection, life-changing power of Jesus and has rocked your world and changed your life and you start telling somebody about what has happened and they start talking about how old the earth is, like that's not relevant. Some would argue Jesus said, be a witness. I wasn't, I wasn't there. Like, I've got my beliefs. I've studied my word. I've got my doctrine. I wasn't there, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a witness to what I've seen and experienced. And you know what? It's okay if you don't know it all. But how has Jesus impacted your life? I want to look. I want to look at a few things. I think Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. That's what he said, right? In other words, you will be the one who has seen the power and grace and love of Jesus poured out into your life. This is what you've seen with the implication of this. If you're going to be a witness, then you are going to testify, right? A witness who never gets out of their seat and gets up on the stand isn't a witness at all, okay? So what Jesus is saying here is you have a story to tell. You don't have to tell every story. You don't have to understand every theological truth, but you have a story of what God, if you've given your life to Jesus, you have a story of what God has done for you. Just tell that one. So here's the deal. If this is what Jesus said, and, and, and the reason I'm, I'm, I'm locking in on here is because this is the springboard for the rest of the book. This is what it's about. It's so interesting to me is that Jesus said, you will be my witness. I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself here. 
But then you look at Acts chapter 2, or, and, and, and uh, the church explodes, 3,000 are getting saved. Later, at the end of Acts 2, it says uh, people, are getting, uh, people are adding to their numbers day after day. There is no strategic evangelistic plan to change the world. There's just simple obedience to go be a witness. So, here's the deal. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. He wasn't just talking to the 120. He was talking to those of us in here today too. So, why do we struggle to be a witness? I just want to hit, hit a few things here real quick. If you're taking notes, write these down. Because some of them might just connect with you more than others. Here, here, here's the deal. Write these down. Why do we struggle to be a witness if that's what Jesus has called us to be? One is, and we talked about this already, we think it's more complicated than it really is. Right? Like I said, a witness who tries to fill in the blanks in areas that they are not experienced is not a good witness. It's okay to say, I don't, I don't know. I can't speak to that. Okay? We think it's more complicated than it really is. Friends, it's simply telling your story. Number two, why do we, why do we tend to struggle to be a witness? Here's another reason why sometimes we struggle is, is that we don't understand, excuse me, we don't understand the value and the power of our testimony. We get, we get so locked in the, the monotony of day after day that we forget that we have a real enemy who is going to attack us like crazy. And there's some that are like, man, I feel it, I sense it, I know the enemy is attacking me. And then there's some that are like, that's over the top. Guess what, you've been attacked already because that is his best tactic. If he can convince you that he's not real, he will have his way with you. There is an enemy of your soul who hates you because he hates your father and he is going to get at you in the same way those bad guys in all the movies try to like kidnap the kid of the hero. You know what I'm talking about? If I can't get to you, I'll get to your children. It's what the devil does and he's coming after you. And we don't understand the value and the power of it. Listen, they triumphed because of the blood of the Lamb, the word of the testament. So here's where I want to back this up. Before, before you're like, whoa, 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 this is just like all personal stuff. And like, this, where's the gospel in all this? The blood of the Lamb is the gospel. Your testimony of some like super spiritual experience, I saw an angel and he told me to um, X, Y, and Z. Like that's where weird things happen. That's why I didn't say they defeated him by their testimony of any spiritual thing that's ever happened to you, they overcame by the blood of the lamb, which is the foundation of your testimony. The blood of the lamb, that is a reference to Jesus. You know this, right? The Old Testament, like if I wanted to be right with God, like there's this chasm between me and God. If I want to be right with God, a, a blood sacrifice had to be made. I know that's barbaric sounding today. That's how God operated. That's how serious sin is. And Christ, we see this, is the fulfillment of even the Old Testament sacrificial system. Once and for all, through his blood, we are forgiven of our sins. Doesn't, Jesus doesn't turn the other way. He paid the price that our sin demanded. Listen, our testimony, like the blood of the lamb is Jesus' story. The word of your testimony is your story of Jesus. We don't understand the value and the power of our testimony. Your testimony makes demons shudder because it is a reminder of the power, grace, and the love of Jesus. Number three, why do we struggle a little bit or a lot of it with being a witness? Because we don't know how to communicate our testimony. Okay, I'll, I'll take a minute here. Typically, when we talk about testimony, and maybe some of you are already here, what you're thinking about is the moment you said yes to Jesus. And that is a part of your testimony. That is a part of your story. You experience the saving grace of Jesus, and that is a part of your story. But in reality, let's remember, testimony is anything you have witnessed. And if our testimony is built on the blood of the Lamb, if our testimony is the experience, the things that I've seen and heard and observed and experienced firsthand as a child of God, then the longer you've been saved, the longer your testimony ought to be. Right? If you've been saved for a minute, your testimony is of salvation. 
But God, guess what? God doesn't stop at salvation. He continues to invest into your life. And here's how it typically works, just in case you're like, I don't really have that many stories. All right, here's, let me just show you how it works in my life, right? Like, we have God moments in life. Can, can I get, like, you guys know what I'm talking about, but God moments, those moments, like, God just, like, boom, does something. Like, and if, if you were to rate, this is so, like, so, like, so, I probably shouldn't even do it. But if you were to rate God moments on a scale of one to 10, oh, like, whatever, it's the best I can do. Okay? If you were to rate God moments on the scale of one to 10, and those, like, whoa, life-changing God moments. You know what I'm talking about, some of you. If those are like a nine and a 10, right? Like you might have a few of those in your entire life. And that's fine. That's cool, right? A lot of those get written, like if they happened long ago, long enough ago, a lot of them ended up in the Bible. Like some of those nine and 10 got incredible. But here's the deal. Almost all of us, almost every day, if we're paying a little bit of attention, can have like one and two God moments all the time where we see the hand of God at work. Now, I get it. There's sometimes God leads us through seasons where it feels like he's distant. He's not, but he feels like he's distant. And so we can feel kind of drier or whatever. We don't necessarily see him all the time. Look through the Bible. Characters, David, Moses, like all these people had those moments. But in general, God gives us these, these ones and twos all the time. And then life is just cram-packed, fold with, from, from, from month to month, quarter to quarter, year to year, whatever, with these three to eight God moments. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Now here's the deal. As we walk with Jesus, each one of these moments are a part of our testimony. Each one of these times that God speaks to your heart where you, where you feel his closeness in the moment that you felt so distant and far away. You felt peace in the middle of tragedy. You found healing in, when you came to him and asked for it. You found provision supernaturally in his name. Friends, each and every moment that God steps in and does something and speaks something, every time you've experienced or observed or seen or heard the finger of God in your life is a part of your testimony. So the problem is we are so used, we get so used to this in the church world that we just like go from one day to the next. Also, we live in a very comfortable society, so we're used to getting what we want. So when God does something for us, we're like, sweet, cool, that's awesome. Hey, look at that. And then we just go on our day. I'm going to challenge us. Like this, this, is, like this is for like nearly everybody here. I'm going to challenge us. Can you accurately communicate your salvation testimony? Like the, the moment that you said yes to Jesus, you said, all, I'm all in, I'm crossing. Can you, can you communicate your salvation testimony? That, that's kind of the first point where most of us start. But, but you've got more testimonies than that. Do you have them just like loaded up like everyone's another bullet in your, in your gun? Like whatever you have a conversation with somebody, like you've got, you've got, a, you've got a story of that. Do you, can you accurately, some of you just need to write this down and take home as homework. Can you accurately communicate your life change testimony? Maybe your salvation testimony is right here, but your life change testimony happened years later where something just radically turned around. Can, can you, can you communicate your miracle testimony? Like God stepped in in a way that, that nobody can explain, not even science itself. Can you, can you share your, your voice of God testimony where you're more convinced that God spoke to you? Maybe it was audible. That doesn't happen to most people. Maybe it was just this internal thing. Listen, let me just tell you what. I've got some, some voice of God testimonies that like, here's the deal. Either I've heard the voice of God or you should lock me up in a mental institute because like I hear voices. I'm just that convinced. Do you have a voice of God testimony? Do you have a, I'm finally going to make this personal testimony? A lot of, a lot of us who grew up in church and we walked with God our whole lives, like there came a point in time where you're like, is this, is this my parents or is this mine? Do you have a, I'm finally going to make this personal testimony? Do you have a freedom from addiction testimony? Do you have a everything is different now testimony? Do you have a most recent God moment testimony? Your testimony is power. Your testimony, testimony thwarts the attacks of the devil. Listen, here's the deal. Number four, why is it so difficult? We easily forget our testimony. And this one kind of comes in like hand in hand with number three, like 
we don't know how to communicate it, and part of it is because we just haven't spent any time thinking about it. Right? God did something great, and the next day, we miss our alarm and we're late for work and we're ticked and we forgot that God even exists. Right? <laughs> Listen, they overcame, they triumphed over Satan himself because their last victory was always fresh in their minds. We, we judge so hard the people of Israel in the wilderness, don't we? Like, they look silly. They literally saw ten plagues destroy their enemies while they sat there as slaves. And then the hand of God split a sea, and then they walked through it. Meanwhile, the enemy charged them, and the sea supernaturally collapsed, drowning an entire enemy, and they never picked up a weapon. And like a week later, they're like, let's go back to slavery. This is dumb. They look like idiots, don't they? I'm so glad nobody's written my story down. Man, I've got a testimony. And for those of you who are like, man, I've, I've, I've never, like, everybody loves, or like, I was like once in jail and a horrible human being and, you know, the uh, drugs and the whole life, and then I came back to Jesus, and now I'm all, everybody loves that testimony. It's so drastic. It's so sea-parting. It just makes you feel like God's in control. But for those of you who are like, man, I've always been good. I don't have a testimony. Friend, just stop and look behind you for one minute. Do you not see the finger of God? In our spiritual disciplines, in our Ancient Paths series, we talked, about, we talked about meditation, and we meditate on Scripture, and that's really good. Part of it, we meditate on the character of God, and one of my favorite ways to meditate on the character of God is I reflect on my life from the moment God began to move me towards Him and even before that. And I watch this thread run through my life and I have to sit back like, God, you've given me an incredible story. The world, no, 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 okay, we're not trying to change the world. There is an individual in your world who needs to hear your story. Because your story may just be the very thing that breaks down the advancing forces of Satan in another person's life. And we don't realize the significance and the power of our story. Jesus didn't tell you to know everything. Don't get me wrong, pursue truth. But share your story. If you know enough to decide to surrender your entire life to this God, I think you know enough to share your story. Peter says it this way, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who, who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And I, and I know that's a great like, like theme verse for apologetics, and you should know your apologetics. If nothing else, to build your own faith and understand um, even your own story better, and to be able to address culture and all that kind of stuff. But that's not really what that verse is about. Always be ready to give an answer for the reason for your hope. So why do you have hope? What's your hope in? We need to first learn and understand and be convinced of this. Some of you, if, you, if this is all fuzzy in your mind, you need to go home and just begin to write. In your quiet time with the Lord, just just. Just write. Just ask God in prayer, God, God, would you bring to, to my mind the things that you've done in my life? And begin to write your own testimony because as you write it, it forces you to process through it because it is so easy to forget. Let me tell you what, you spend some time writing your own testimony, it will, in the morning, it will change your day for the rest of the day. And the fifth one, the fifth reason that we struggle to be a witness is because we don't have a testimony. You can't be a witness if you don't have a testimony. 
You know, there's some of us that we, like, we go to church and you memorize the phrases, you've learned the Christian culture, you've mirrored the behavior, you've parroted back the things that have been said, but you've never actually come to a place where you've surrendered the rights of your life to Jesus. You can describe salvation in this heady perspective, but you can't describe it from a personal perspective because you've never experienced the freedom that comes from bowing your knee to the, the creator of the world. And there's some of you today that you're just like, man, I, I, I'm Christian in name, I'm churchgoer for sure. But this whole time you've been struggling to figure out what your testimony is because you've never seen the power and the grace of God flood your life when you let go of control. And there's some of you today that you need to make today the day. Today is the day that your testimony begins. You've struggled with this witness thing because you've tried to put on all the Christian stuff and behavior and church life, but you've never surrendered your life fully and completely to his will. Before Jesus said, you will be my witness, he said, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you. You've never even received the Holy Spirit in the gift of salvation. And today's the day that you don't just say, I believe in God. But the day that you say, I surrender my life. Friends, he has given us, for those of us who've said yes to him, he's given you a testimony, he's given you a story. He's not asked you to be a preacher, I don't think. He's not asked you to be an evangelist, to my knowledge. He's not asked you to be a missionary. He's asked you to tell your story. And when we, the followers of Jesus, begin to be and live the way he called us to be, he says this of us collectively, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Father, we praise you and we thank you for your grace, your power, your, your, your activity, your intervention, your movement in our lives. God, I thank you that you've given us eyes to see. And for those who haven't, Lord, would you, would you open our eyes to see you in the detail, see you in every aspect of, of, of the life that we've been given? God, would we take this calling to heart? Not fear it, not run from it, but God, just, just striving to be who you've called us to be. Nothing more, nothing less. So God, here we are. We're yours, we, we, we've seen you at work. So now God, may we, may we be a good witness. And I don't just mean do nice things, but may we be ones who tell our story. Who say, I've seen God forgive. I've seen God set me free from bitterness and anxiety. I've seen God transform my family. I've seen God reconnect relationships that were dead and broken. I've seen God breathe uh, life into people who've been completely cut off. I've seen the God heal when the doctor said it was impossible. I've seen God transform lives and break addictions and move us in ways that, 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 that are impossible without him. God, may we simply just tell our story. And Father, Father, I pray for those who've who identify as Christians on the outside but have never bowed their knee to your sovereignty. 
those who have no testimony simply because they have no firsthand experience of your saving grace. Father, would you draw every man and woman and child into your loving embrace today? Would you grant courage and strength to those who are ready to stand for you, to be a witness, to share their testimony, to get up on the stand of life and boldly declare that you are God because I've seen you at work. Father, we thank you for your grace to us and the way you've invited us into your sovereign plan. God, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. You know, this is what the book of Acts is built on. This is it right here. The testimony of those who are firsthand eyewitnesses of the power, grace, and love of Jesus, and it spread like wildfire. So, would you consider with me today? Think about it. What if, what if we, like those of us sitting in here right now, what if we chose to just kind of like sift through the clutter of modern evangelism and modern churchism and just simply chose to live as actual witnesses of the power of God in our own lives today. For I am unashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. God wants to use your story to transform lives through his power, through the Holy Spirit's power active in us. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.